Good morning. My name is Steve Coward. I'm one of the pastors here at Farrell Hill Church, and I'm excited to be able to open up the scriptures with you this morning as we dive into our new series in the book of Colossians. And we've decided to entitle this series, Christ is Enough. As we see throughout the book of Colossians, as we saw from what uh, Pastor Peter read a few minutes ago, uh, how Christ is preeminent. And that's what we will see as we move uh, through this book and how helpful I think those words, Christ is enough, uh, should be for us even now in the time that we find ourselves right now. So if you have your Bibles there, your phones, whatever you may have, feel free uh, to open them up to the book of Colossians as we read God's word now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you heard it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and would you make it come alive before us this morning? We pray that the words that are said here this morning would be your words and not man's words, and ultimately that much would be made of Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Just a couple of things we need to understand as we dive in to the book of Colossians this morning. And of course, we see it right there at the very beginning of our passage that Paul is the one who is writing this. And it actually says, with Timothy. Now, Timothy's probably not the actual author of of any of these words. He may be the scribe um, who's writing them down for Paul as Paul's dictating. Uh, But he is there with Paul as he writes, as Paul is in, as we see at the very end of the book of Colossians, Paul is actually in prison as he writes these words. We're not quite sure where, it could be Rome, it could be Ephesus, but regardless, Paul is imprisoned. And one of the unique things about the book of Colossians is that Paul has never actually been to Colossae. He has never actually met these Christians there, and that's why we see as at, towards the end of our passage this morning in verse 7 that Epaphras is the one who had brought the gospel to the Colossians. Likely he had heard Paul preaching the gospel in Ephesus and, and came to faith there, and then he couldn't help but take that gospel back to Colossae. And so they became believers. Now, why is Paul writing to them? We're not 100% sure, but there seems to have risen some sort of false teaching um, in Colossae. Um, and whatever this false teaching is, what it leads Paul to is emphasizing, as we said a moment ago, that Christ is enough. It leads to him emphasizing Jesus being completely sufficient for them, Jesus being preeminent. I don't know if you heard, I believe it was last year, a guy by the name of, of Jay Sprites, he was an African, he's an African-American guy living in, in New Jersey, lives in an apartment, doesn't even have a car, but he was interested in kind of 
researching his, his heritage, his ancestry, and, and doing his family tree, and he kept coming to all sorts of ends. So finally, he did one of those DNA tests. And he got back the results, and you can just imagine him sitting there in his apartment, and he, he opens up uh, this envelope to find out what the results are, and he finds out that he's of royal lineage. He, he finds out that he is actually a prince. And it's surprising to him, as it would be to anybody, and so what does he do? He actually goes and he visits this country, and when he arrived... He saw what looked like a festival. He saw hundreds of people dancing and playing instruments and singing. And it took him a few minutes to realize that they were all doing this for him because he had arrived. And the next thing you know, he says, I'm in Benin, that's the country, being crowned as a prince. It was that easy. I mean, can you imagine going from just sitting in like your apartment, opening up an envelope or whatever, to being crowned a prince? It's, it's quite radical. Um, but the words that we're going to hear this morning, I, I think, are even more radical or even greater. Because what we're going to see is that Paul gives to the Colossians some extraordinary titles. Did you see them there starting in verse 2? What does he call them first? He calls them saints. Literally, holy ones, the, the, the set-apart ones. And Paul here, he's saying something quite extraordinary, isn't he? He's, he's calling them saints. And so too, Paul's saying, are all of those who believe, all of those who trust in Christ are called saints. It's, it, saint, calling people saints, it's not reserved for those people who have really arrived it's, it's not for those who have gone to the great heights of the Christian faith and somehow they've attained sainthood. Paul says to all of the Colossians, to all of those who had trusted in Christ, he calls them saints. But he doesn't just stop there, does he? He also calls them faithful brothers. Now, what he really means there is something maybe closer to our fellow brothers in Christ, to 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 our fellow brothers and sisters who have also trusted in Jesus, who, who cling to him alone for their salvation. He's not here, I think, talking about his, their, the quantity or the quality uh, of their faith. And, but he's just calling them faithful brothers. He's calling them saints. He's giving them these extraordinary titles and he's able to do that because of an extraordinary gospel. And that's where Paul goes next, because what does he say? How does he say they're saints? How it is it that they're, they're faithful brothers? It's because they are in Christ. It's because of their spiritual location. Physically, they may be located in Colossae, but spiritually, they are located in Christ. Just last week, we celebrated Good Friday and then Easter. And, and in doing so, what were we reminded of? We're reminded of that day that Jesus died. And because we are united with him, when he died, his death was our death. And then we're reminded on Easter day that whenever he rose, we rose with him. Because we are united with him, that's what it means to be in union with him. And that's pretty incredible, but Paul keeps going, doesn't he? You know, the way he starts his letter, it's a little different than we write our letters today. He st it starts out with the person who's writing saying who they are. And then it says to the who, to, to the saints and faithful brothers that we just talked about. And at that point comes the dear that, that we would put. Um, in their case, back in that day, they would write greetings. But Paul does something different here and in his other letters. Instead, he says, 
grace to you, and peace from God our Father. Paul, because of the transformation that has taken place in his heart, he cannot help but to lead with the gospel. It's only natural for him to, to lead with the gospel, and so he leads with grace, this incredible undeserved favor. He leads with this, this term that stands in complete opposition to all the other religions of the world, the, all the other religions of the world who say somehow we have to earn our own way, we have to pull up our own bootstraps, we have to make it happen for ourselves. And Paul says, no. It's by grace. God pursues his people with unconditional love, with unconditional salvation. It's not based on human efforts. It's not on you working really hard to be really good. That's not how the Colossians were saved. They were saved by grace. They were saved. The Colossians weren't saved because they were good enough. They weren't saved because they were smart enough. They were saved ultimately because Jesus was good enough. Because Jesus' sacrifice was enough. Christ was and is enough. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he puts it this way. He said, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. But what is still more wonderful is this. That he makes saints out of sinners. That he makes saints out of sinners. That is that incredible good news of grace that he makes saints out of sinners. It's not out of sinners trying really hard to be saints. He is the one who does it. He is the one who makes it happen. And not only does he do that, not only does he bring grace, as we see in our passage, he also does what? He brings peace. Now, this isn't just the idea of having some sort of peaceful day at home, you know, sitting back in your easy chair. That is not at all what Paul is talking about. This kind of peace that he is talking about is the opposite of war. Paul is reminding them of what took place at the cross. And I think we had it read just a, a moment ago, what Paul says down in, in verse 21 of, uh, of Colossians chapter 1. And you, who were once alienated, who were once hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He, he says, you, we were, were once enemies. We were once enemies, but, verse 20, peace was brought. Christ brought peace by his blood. And so Paul comes leading with the gospel. Come, he comes leading with grace, with peace, because of that union that we have in Christ. You and I. We must begin to grasp that the words that Paul said to the Colossians can be said of us as well. We need to understand that these extraordinary titles that Paul gives to the Colossians can also be given to us and are for us. We need to understand that this extraordinary gospel is for us as well. We too are given extraordinary titles because of an extraordinary gospel. We are given those titles, you and I, even, even as you sit at home right now, probably still in your PJs, even as you sit at home on your sofa, even as you've probably been, maybe some of you with younger families like my own are probably struggling with trying to keep everyone situated on the sofa and stop talking and fighting and all those things. You know what he calls you? Do you know what your title is right now? It is saint. It is faithful brother and brothers and sisters right now. But we struggle to comprehend that, don't we? It's, it's hard to grasp, but that can really be true of us. 
It's hard to grasp that this extraordinary grace and peace is really ours. Because just as those other world religions, they, they, they're all after works and, and trying to pull themselves up, that's the natural bent of our heart, isn't it? It's our natural inclination of our hearts to try to find a way to earn our own way. We naturally rebel against grace. I remember a few Christmases ago, my family, we, we always travel on Christmas Day. So we inevitably go out to eat on Christmas. And so we're always trying to find a restaurant and somewhere that happens to be open. And so this one Christmas, we find ourselves at Denny's. And I was very excited about having Christmas dinner at Denny's. But we got to the end of the meal and then the, the waitress came and she told us that another family who had just checked out had paid for our dinner. That was incredible mercy and grace that was shown to us, completely undeserved, nothing that we had earned. But you know what we did with that? We immediately thought, well, we've got to do so. Okay, do we need to pay for another family's dinner? We couldn't just accept the grace that was lavished on us. We thought, okay, this was done for us. Now we have to do, you know, it's like we suddenly have to start doing what? Doing our own works, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's similar with peace. Like we, we struggle with peace as well because how could the one that we have wronged so much truly forgive us? How could there truly be peace between us and God? We, we know how we, in our own lives, how we struggle. How we struggle to forgive others. How we struggle to find peace in our relationships. How, how we struggle for there to be true reconciliation. For, for true reconciliation to, to truly take place. And that's for people who have offended us far less than we have offended God. Because, as Paul said, we... We're, We've alienated ourselves from him. We've been hostile in our minds. We, in a sense, we're his enemies. And yet, through Jesus, he has brought peace to us. Now, this seems too incredible to be true, that we can really be given these extraordinary titles. That this extraordinary gospel is really true. It seems too good to be true. And I just want to say, it is too good. It is too good. But don't be deceived for a moment. It is also true. Nothing is more true than this good news that we are talking about this morning. Nothing is more true for you today if you are in Christ than that these extraordinary titles have been given to you because of the extraordinary gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may have heard the name before of John Newton who knew the incredible truth of the gospel. He's the guy who's well known for authoring Amazing Grace. And you probably heard some of his story, but I just want to share it with you again this morning that at a very young age, he got into the slave trade. He was a blasphemer. He was a rebel. He was a moral man. He was a torturer. He was, he was about as far removed from grace as you could imagine. And I just want to share with you some of the words as he reflected back on his early days and those slave trade days of, of those days where he was running against God. This is what he said about him. He says, I loved sin and was unwilling to forsake it. I pretended to talk of virtue, yet my delight, my delight and habitual practice was wickedness. I was exceedingly wretched. I not only sinned with a high hand myself, but made it my study to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion. 
This was John Newton, the one who, who wrote Amazing Grace. And at some point or another, the gospel grabbed a hold of him. It grabbed a hold of him on a night in which a terrible, terrible storm struck the ship that he was, he was steering. And fearing life itself, he, he hollers out, Lord, have mercy upon us. And, and as he's trying to right the ship, as he's trying to make his way through this terrible, terrible storm, he began to reflect on his life and the way in which he had rejected God throughout it all. And he began to think of his shortcomings, that, that it was too much, that there's any way that he could ever be forgiven. And he said this, he said, I began to think of Jesus, whom I had so often derided, of his life and his death, for sins not his own, but for those who in their distress should put their trust in him. And as he looked back on his life, it's that moment. That was the moment of his conversion. That was the moment that he first believed. The moment he first believed. And after that, there was a dramatic change that began, he began to experience in his life as, as many of the things began to change about him, of, of, of the way he interacted with others. He, he got better at cussing. That didn't sound quite right. But anyway, I think you get the point of what I'm talking about. He got better. Things were better in his life, but even though things got better, there, there was a problem. He went back out multiple times on slave ships, even after he became a believer. He, his heart was changing. Things were, in a sense, getting better. But he still had a long ways to go. He hadn't arrived, and, and he, in fact, never would. On that tombstone in that graveyard of that church where he finally ended up serving as a pastor, his tombstone says this, John Newton, pastor, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. He was once the enemy, and he had been made a friend. He had, he had been granted those incredible, extraordinary titles of saint and faithful brothers because of the extraordinary gospel. And as a result of that, his life began to change. It didn't change immediately. He went back out on slave ship multiple times. But then later, he helps lead the fight against the slave trade as he grow, grew up and matured. In a similar way, Paul, in our passage here, in verse 3, where does he go? He begins to thank God for the Colossians. Why? Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He's, he's heard of their faith. Their, their faith has grown to such a point that, that he's hearing reports about it. It's not because he's gone there and he's seen it. He's hearing it from others that, that their faith is growing, that the Colossians, who used to put their faith in themselves like we're all tempted to do, or putting their faith in the things of this world, had begun to put their faith more and more into Christ. And it was changing so much that word of it was getting back to Paul. Their faith was growing. Paul, here in our passage, he, he's thanking God for the way in which the Colossians are growing, how they're growing in their faith, in their love, in their hope. These are all three marks of, of Christians, of the, the, the things and the areas in which we're to grow in. And he begins to thank God for them first, as we said, for their, for their faith. But then also he, he thanks God for their love. 
Galatians 5, 6, Paul puts it this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Out of this growth of their faith in Christ, what naturally flows but love. Love that you have for all the saints in verse 4. And in, in, in verse 8, the way that they've shown their love in the Spirit. Their, their love for others is growing as a result of their faith, as a result of them being in Christ, as a result of the incredible grace and peace that has come to them in their Savior. They're able to love others because, as John said, what? We love because he first loved us. They, they understood and were beginning to comprehend Jesus' love for them, and therefore they were loving Jesus, and they were loving God and couldn't help but then to also show love to others. In a similar way, John Newton did too, right? As, as he matured in his faith, his love for others began to grow to the place where he began to move against and preach against the slave trade, that thing that he had once partaken in. He was now opposed to and showed love to others through it and couldn't help but do so. You see, when we love others, our love for Jesus shows. When, 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 you, when you love others, when, when you love those around you, even your brothers and sisters, even your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever they be, when, when you love others, your love for Jesus shows. It shows how much you and I how much the Colossians in this case really understand the magnitude of God's love towards us. That while we are unlovely, which we often are, aren't we? He still has set his love upon us. Even as we spoke a few minutes ago, even while we're enemies, he has set his love upon us. Even while we are hostile in our minds, he has set his love upon us. It's extraordinary. And it's lavish love that he has laid upon us. And as a result, we can't help but begin to love others. We, we, we grow in our faith. We grow in our love and we also grow in our hope. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, those in the world, those of the world, those who aren't believers, they put their hopes in riches, hopes in fame, they put their hope in a long life, in domestic peace, in pleasure, in a whole range of hope that is within the compass of the eye, in the things that they can see. They, they put their things in the thing, hope in the things that they can see. But the believer, the, the Christian, their hope, their hope has passed beyond the sphere of sight. Our hope is put in things that we cannot see. Our hope is put in ultimately in Jesus, the one who is enough. And as a result, as a result of, of, of understanding the gospel, our faith grows. Our love grows. Our hope grows. And do you see how Paul says it in verse 6, that, it, that, that the gospel, what is it doing? It's, it's bearing its fruit and it's increasing. You see, the Colossians were changing. 
because of the gospel. Because they couldn't help but change as they began to understand the extraordinary titles they had been given because of the extraordinary gospels. They were changing because the gospel, because Jesus was at work in their hearts. One pastor puts it this way. The secret of the gospel, the secret of the gospel is that we actually do more when we hear less about what we need to do for God and hear more about all that God has done for us. You see, the Colossians changed. They became marked by faith and love and hope, not because they were told they needed to work really hard at growing their faith and their love and their hope, They grew in those things. They changed in those areas because they heard and they understood what God had done for them. The Colossians grew because they refused to believe the counterfeit gospel. The counterfeit gospel that there was some way that they could earn their way. That there's somehow they could make these things happen in and of themselves. And you see, our problem is that we tend to buy into that counterfeit gospel, don't we? And as we buy into that counterfeit gospel, thinking that somehow we can make it happen, we actually, we don't really change. We might look better for the moment, but our hearts aren't really transformed. Don't buy into the counterfeits. Don't buy into counterfeit faith, a faith that is really centered on the moment, that's really centered maybe on what the world can give you at the moment. Don't buy into counterfeit love. A love that is really all about self-love. A love that really only loves others as long as it means a good return. Love coming back to you. You know what I mean. You, you, you show love to others so that they'll love you. And it's really a self-serving love. Don't buy into a counterfeit hope. A faith that puts its hope in the things of this world. That puts a hope in things like a happy home. A happy children, a happy spouse, a happy career, a happy bank account. We must see. You and I, we must begin to understand more deeply each and every day that Christ truly is enough for us. That our hope and our faith and our love are ultimately found in him, not in ourselves. Not in the things of this world, because we will constantly disappoint ourselves. If we're trusting in the things of this world, they will constantly disappoint us. And it's only when we put our faith, only when we put our love and our hope in him, will we really truly begin to grow in these areas. Surely you've maybe experienced this in recent weeks. Maybe you've seen these counterfeit versions of faith of love, of hope at work in your own life. You know, while, while we want to say and we believe Christ is enough, like we, we know those words are right and we're supposed to say them, sometimes we struggle to really live them. We struggle for them to really come out of our heart and all sorts of other things begin to come out of our hearts. So I just have you ask yourself just a couple of questions. How, how have you really been doing these last few weeks? Just think with me for a moment. Look at when you've gotten angry. And it's likely there you'll see the counterfeit gospel at work in your life. 
as you've gotten angry, what is it that's made you angry? What is it that set you off? Likely it's something coming in between you and that objective, whatever it is that you were hoping for, whatever it is you were putting your love in, whatever it is you were putting your faith in at the moment, and something comes in between you and you get angry. Maybe look at what it is that's made you sad and depressed, and likely you'll find it there. Look at when you've become frustrated and irritable and grumpy, and likely you'll find it there. Look at when you felt guilty. Because maybe you feel like you haven't been a good enough parent or spouse or child or whatever it is. And likely you will find it there. I've found it there for myself as I find myself more irritable, more easily irritated at my kids. You know, we're all in this house together. And, and you know, we sit down and we try to do fun things like play board games. And, and it ends up in war. And internally, I, I, I allow my heart to begin to become upset and irritable at them. And, and, and maybe I reach out with anger or with harsh words. And whenever that happens, I'm showing that in that moment at least, I'm not really trusting that Christ is enough. I'm really putting my hope in something else. Of, uh, uh, I'm putting my stock in some other faith, in some other love, in some other hope. So Paul tells the Colossians, he, he, he gives to them these extraordinary titles. These extraordinary titles that they have because of an extraordinary gospel. And then he comes alongside and he, he begins to thank God for the way in which he's seen them grow. The way in which he sees them maturing in their faith, in their love, and in their hope. But I think he knows that sometimes we hear those kind of things and we suddenly start thinking too much of ourselves. And so, as I was talking with Peter just this, a couple of days ago uh, about this sermon and kind of illustrating you know, some of the points, I was like, well, really what Paul does here is he, he kind of does a gospel sandwich. He, he starts off telling them, reminding them of the good news of the gospel. Then he encourages them for the good things that are happening in their life. But before they get too puffed up, he turns them back and he reminds them of the gospel. He says, I've heard before of this, which you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has now come to you as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing its fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. He, he brings them back to the gospel. He centers things back right where they need to be before they get too excited or too impressed with themselves. And it's that right understanding of the gospel, <laughs> that incredible good news that gives us the fuel by, by which we're able to grow, by which we're able to mature. The Colossians were able to grow in their faith and their love and their hope as they began to understand those extraordinary titles of saint, of faithful brothers. And, and that those titles were theirs because of that extraordinary gospel that came to them in grace and peace. John Newton was able to be transformed because he understood those same things about the titles he'd been given, about the extraordinary gospel. And his life began to change, and it's so too it is with you. You and I can, can grow in our faith, our love, and hope as we begin to understand that the extraordinary titles of saints 
of faithful brothers and sisters are ours because of the extraordinary gospel that has come to us through the grace and peace of Christ. You see, as we begin to comprehend more and more the incredible nature of the good news of the gospel, we can't help but change. It's, it's a natural outflowing of our heart. It, it bubbles up inside us and begins to come out. Our love for Jesus begins to show. It becomes only natural for us and it begins to come out. But it's going to be a struggle from here to the very end. I want to share some words that John Newton said towards the very end of his life. He said this. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient I am. I am not what I wish to be, although I abhor that which is evil and would cleave to that which is good. I am not what I hope to be, but soon I shall put off mortality and with it all sin. Though I'm not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor yet what I hope to be, I can truly say I'm not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge that by the grace of God, I am who I am. You and I, we need to wrestle with similar words in our own life. Understanding the radical implications of the gospel. The radical implications of the fact that Christ is enough. That we don't need to go chasing after all these other things, all of these false faiths, all of these false loves, all of these false hopes. We need to run and cling ultimately to Jesus. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would transform us through it that your gospel would work itself so deeply into our hearts that it would begin to show. That just as you transform the Colossians, we trust that you are at work transforming us more and more into the image of your Son. And we thank you and pray that you would continue this radical work in our hearts. We thank you for allowing us to worship you today together in this way. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now hear this blessing from the scriptures, from Paul's own words and Colossians to us as we go about the rest of our day, as we go into the rest of our week before us. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I hope you all have a great and blessed week, and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. God bless.